Satan is coming on the devil's wedding night. Diabolic demons delirious with desire. the village virgins to the castle of carnal craving. Tiptoe through terror while Satan sleeps. When the devil wakes, death rises. And joining me once again tonight is not only the mighty Troy Gwynn. How you doing, Troy? I'm here and mighty as ever. <laughs> and we, we, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm throwing, I've thrown myself off now. Uh, I, I've giggled, I've giggled like a schoolgirl. But joining us once again is the 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 also mighty. Uh, I've run out of superlatives. The also mighty Bob Sargent. Bob, how are you doing? I'm here, larger than life, twice as ugly. Oh, <laughs> I, you know. That is how much I've always des- that's how how I've always described myself, and it's good to know that we are continuing to be brothers from other mothers. Yay, there indeed. You, there you go. Well, tonight we've gathered together, huddled around a fire, to discuss the Devil's Wedding Night from 1973, and this was yet another Ooh. situation where we allowed the guest, that would be Bob, to make the choice. And uh, Bob, why the Devil's Wedding Night? Oh, well, you can blame me. Um, <laughs> why? Rosalbanary. Uh, <laughs> those are two good reasons to watch uh, any film. Yeah, and there are two other reasons, too. But, you know, well, it's not a family show. So. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I think we've all, um, all Eurocult fans of a certain vintage have a certain familiarity and fascination with, shall we say, uh, the breasts of Rosalbaniri, uh, and, and incredible, and honestly, just her in, entire physical being. Yeah. There's, I don't think, a square inch of that woman that isn't absolutely alluring, gorgeous, uh, spectacular, 
provocative. Mm -hmm. And on display quite a bit in this movie. Yeah, yeah, more than I remembered. Uh, yeah. Me whether too. She's, whether she's Rosalba Neri or Sarah Bay. She's, oh, I know. Oh, yeah, she did the Sarah Bay thing. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That. Back years yeah. ago when um, Adrian and I tackled Lady Frankenstein for the show, um, mm -hmm. It, it, it was it was a much amusement to us to you know to uh, to, to listen to all the uh, the promo uh, audio and uh, tr the trailers and s introducing Sarah Bay and it's like it's like you're like so many names away from who she actually is. No, it's nothing close, is it? It's like nope. I mean, why not something like you know, I don't know, Ro Roseanne, you know, Norris or something. I don't know something that would be somewhat closer to you know Sarah Bay. I mean, really. <laughs> Well, I'm th think about it. All they were trying to do was eliminate having both of her names end in a vowel. That's all they were doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Good point. It's like, well, and sometimes an actress's name morphs. Like you take Barbara Boucher, who was she was a, a Czech and then, you know, became a, a German, you know, like this German sounding yeah. last name. Yeah, yeah. It just morphed into Boucher. <laughs> right. Well, you yeah. could do a whole show on her. What a career she had. Oh, man, she was fantastic. Uh, yes, yes. And we would have to be in separate rooms just to maintain our dignity. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about... So, so what is your history, Bob, with The Devil's Wedding Night? With The Devil's Wedding Night? Oh, man. Well, let's see. Um, if I go backwards... So, I came off of a fresh rewatch last night because I got my hands on the... Uh, the Code Red Blu-ray, which yeah. looks really good. It's not really, bad. Really good. Not bad at all. And I know we were discussing pre-show that for both of us, I don't know about Troy, it's been a little while. Yeah. Um, so oh, I've, never, I've never seen it. I've never seen this before. Oh, wow. boy, what a treat. I'm envious. The first time viewing of that because I... Yeah, first, first time. Is, now is I, this... Is, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, for me, I mean, I, I it does go pretty far back. Because mm -hmm. I can trace this back to, you know, DVD viewings and a VHS rental. Um, never caught it on never caught it on broadcast TV, though, but not surprised. They'd have to cut it to ribbons. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. But for me, I was going to say, you know, I probably rented it back. Oh, my gosh. It probably would have been back in the 80s here in Virginia. We had a, um, a you know, when they used to have the, the video rental places. And we had a place called Errol's Video. It says E R O L Errols, and uh, <laughs> it was definitely the place to go. And uh, you know, it, it, kind of a long history for that place. But um, you know, they used to always have the videos in these oversized boxes. And anytime something new would come in, it would go into a bin. Uh, you know, and people would just lurk by the returns bin because you'd want to grab something was new. But it's like I, the stuff that I was looking for, like Devil's Wedding Night, it's like, well, I don't need to do that. You know, I'm just going to go to the horror section. And um, But that was kind of the first time. I don't know if it was the first time I ever saw Rosalba Neri or not. But, you know, uh, I don't know what I was expecting when I saw this movie, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you, you kind of don't forget it. No, I can no, see why no. you didn't. I can totally see why you didn't. Now, is this is this print that, or at least is one that Rod that you made for me? I mean, is that taken from the Code Red Blu-ray, or do because it is a good print? Other than obviously there's some flaws in that constant kind of scratching in there, but uh, mm -hmm. is that what it's taken from? Maybe I do. Yeah, I do believe that is from the Code Red uh, presentation, and uh, that means that it is, as far as I can tell, 
uh, uncut. I don't know that there's anything uh, anything missing. I don't think it's a trimmed print. Uh, it may be. It may have. It may have been missing some stuff at real changes. But as far mm. as I know, an hour and twenty three minutes, which is which is the length of that print, is the standard is the standard length for the for the film. So I yeah. think we're fairly good about there not being anything missing from it. It it seemed like it anyway. I I mean, if if they were going to do some trimming, I, I can't imagine what would have been cut out. Um, so I well, I mean, I used yeah. to see stills from the, like particularly towards the 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 Black Mass climax where. I think I'm sure there was a still in the past or there was a print in the past that I saw that was cut because I had seen some stills that I'm like, wait a minute. I don't remember that being in what I saw, but yeah. uh, all of that was all of that was in the code red version. So I was I was happy with that. But it was sort of like it was fun. Kind of. It's a fun movie anyway, but it was uh, it was even more fun watching it uh, this way because uh, it's just it's been so long that yeah. I really didn't remember a lot of stuff. And I, I told myself I was just going to watch it and not yeah. take any notes, but I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I, think I, I think I shot you guys a message last night. said, oh, yeah, I weakened. I got five pages of notes. <laughs> well, I only have three, so I think, I think we may be okay. Well, there was so much stuff. I was like, oh, yeah. I got to write that because it's like if I don't write it down, we, we, we won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, exactly. so it's just bullet points, but it's and, and that's really all it is. But there's just ridiculous little details that I probably didn't pay any attention to the first time I saw this. But now it's like, uh, you know, over the years, this is probably maybe this is probably like my sixth viewing of this thing. Um, but it was it, in a way it was kind of like looking at it through new eyes because uh you know the print was really nice and uh you know i knew what we were going to be planning on doing with the next night so um but oftentimes i do try to watch these things or at least re-watch something the night before so it's good to get a a fresh viewing under your belt well troy so this being the first time you've encountered this film what did you think of it just kind of overall no, oh, I I thought it was an, um, a, a just great fun. I truly enjoyed it. Um, it was from that magic year of 1973, or it was 50 years ago. Yeah, and uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, I knew nothing about what it was going into it. I very quickly picked up on the fact, like, oh, this is a film that was retitled to cash in on the Exorcist craze, which I just love that. From you know, that's one of those things always fun to come across a film that was originally intended to be something else, and and then they're like, you know, how are we going to fold this into? Um, into into cap- capturing the the, ex- the whole exorcism zeitgeist that was going around. <laughs> oh, and, I, uh, I hadn't really thought about that because to me, oh, really? yeah, yeah, I hadn't just, either. Yeah, just to me, really? it, it, it well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. To me, well, it was no, kind of I mean, it makes sense. It makes perfect yeah. sense. But it, it does. Um, but, but at the same time, my thought has always been just how weird it is that this is such a late entry in the Italian Gothic genre. Uh-huh. Yeah, very very Gothic, especially the castle, which was great. Oh, it's one of the yeah. Oh, it's great. I mean, great scenery and great yeah. As always with the Euro, Euro horror films, just great use of location. Uh, I I think one of the one of the things that tipped me off real early that it it had to be uh, that what they were trying to uh, cash in on the, or trying to catch the Exorcist craze there is the uh, uh, the fact that the the medallion that they carry around that's the demon yep. Pazuzu. You know, that was yes. like, <laughs> yeah. I wondered about that. That <laughs> was like I was like, oh yes, just happens to be the demon from uh you know the from from Exorcist and. Uh, um, but I have to I have the to throw point. out. I'm, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry. What? 
No, I just said good point. <laughs> yeah, the um, also I uh, just had to throw something that cracked me up when I was looking at the alternate titles. Is the uh, the Hong Kong title of this film was I think kind of could be said to sum up the the whole Italian film industry in the seventies. The Hong Kong title was Possession by the Exorcism Frenzy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Troy, I was gonna say we should play our 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 game. You know, our game of coming up with better titles or a better title. You know, although Devil's Wedding Night's pretty good, but... It, it, that is a good one, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking of something that kind of evoked uh, an alternate title for Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. I was thinking, boy, you could call this Twin Brothers versus the Euro the Euro Vampires or something like that. You know? <laughs> I like that, yeah. <laughs> well, how about, how, how about the, the brothers versus uh, the Mistress of Dracula? Yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah, that's good. Well, and you know, right away you know you're in for something it, because I, you know, you're watching the credits and it comes up with uh, Ralph Zucker wrote, he's like, from the story by Ralph Zucker is something like Brides of Countess yeah. Dracula, which is like, yeah. okay, you know you're in for a sleaze fest. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. It's, it's, like, a hall, it's like a hallmark. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, Brides of Countess Dracula, huh? Okay, so it's like, all right, so right away you think there's going to be some sapphic sisters kind of stuff going on here. And it's like, well, you got Rosalbinari in there too, so. Well, yeah, yeah and she she and uh, the, there's there's several uh, sapphic sequences between her and Esmeralda Barros. So oh, yeah. you, our, were, our... you were not wrong in supposing that was going to be in a film of, of this type, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and Troy getting blindsided because it's his first viewing. <laughs> oh, it's like, oh but, but, yeah, it's like with her, it's like immediately with the gratuitous nudity and the lesbian sex, it's like, yep, and there's there's our sacred monkey, you know. Yeah, I, I know, but very, I know as I was, I was thinking about what a, what a you know, uh, uh, the role is a complete 360 from her sacred monkey role on King, King of Kong Island. You know, it it, 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 plays it really was. It really yeah. was, too. Well, and she was just in places so sadistic, but also <laughs> seemingly unhappy because in the one moment you got uh, the Rosalbaneri's character, you know, the, the Contessa is saying, oh, she's a zombie. She has, she called her like, what, what Laura the zombie or something like that. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. It says she has no sense of humor, but then they had that weird, excessive oh, laughing sequence. Yeah, the whole laughing sequence is just. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, there was a lot. It was bizarre. <laughs> well, there's 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 tons of just bizarre things in this film uh, that, that, uh, that we could well, talk especially about. when Mark Damon, you know, it's just like he's he he's got teeth like tombstones. <laughs> he's, it's like good lord, you know, and gi gigantic close-ups. Yeah, and that, that was Massachusetts, our our boy Joe D'Amato doing the yeah. cinematography, and he's like practically yeah. got the camera in their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> it's like good grief what are they doing here you know <laughs> well, and then at some some point later they were starting with the laughing again i'm like oh no not, not again, again. No, please hit the fast forward button <laughs> yeah what are they doing what are they doing because it did go on a little bit too long well and there's there's two or three sequences that yeah, even though some of the sequences even if i like inherently what they're doing some of the sequences i could say i felt like yeah it could could use a little editing here but the but the film itself, you know, still only clocked in at, at an hour twenty-three. I'm sure they were trying to push to get it to that much, you know, to get it through that point. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I, I, I was going to hold off on discussion of the 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 two sequences that are very obvious 
to, to my mind, a, a, a way to in which to stretch the running time. But I mean, what is with these weird ass psychedelic sequences in the middle of, in the in, in two spots of this film where you're just sitting there going, okay, what's really happening here? Does anybody know this is happening? Do any of the characters are the characters aware that this weird shit is going on? Or and then we go back to where people start having dialogue again, and it's like they don't seem to remember all that shit. So what the hell? <laughs> Well, and it got a little confusing too because it's like, okay, you got the you got the ring, you got the ring of the Nibelungen, right? Nibelungen, yeah. <laughs> and which which more became like I, I just call it the ring of nubile virgin summoning, you know? Ah, uh, yes, like, thank you. Uh, yeah, I had that in my notes go. too. I was like, I wrote in my notes, can I get a ring that summons virgins? You know. That's <laughs> and 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 then you had you know which which of course you know they they explained very briefly that that bloodstone there came from a meteor. So it's like, <laughs> Okay, so so it's oh, so I it's alien. so it's alien, you, you know. It's right. like what? It's like was that in Wagner? It's like I don't know, <laughs> you know. And then you had the amulet. Yes. Yeah. You know, which, oh, which I know this, this magic had... this magic gigaw that he says is going to protect him, and it's like right. I see no I see no evidence of this in this freaking movie, so I don't know no. about and, this. Well, it's supposed to be an amulet of, of protection from evil. And then they lose it, and it, it's it's hardly used until, of course, you knew it was going to come into play at the end. Well, I love the fact that he, it's the only thing that he thinks is going to protect him if he starts running into vampires. And all it takes is for him to forget and leave it some places to get laid. It's like, come on, dude. This is supposed to keep you alive, isn't it? Right. Well, and that got confusing, too, because you had the two brothers, because you had Carl, who was the studious one, and then you had Franz who was kind of the... the Lecherous the one? The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the one, the, the, the womanizing one. And it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. You know, at the beginning, I'm thinking, I thought Carl had the amulet. And it's like, oh, Franz took it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like, why yeah. is he going there? Well, oh, I guess he had gambling debts that may have motivated him because he yeah. mentioned. So, but it's like, you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, well, so you're going into vampire country. Good thing we have the amulet, you know, which he, which he left in his hotel room or at the inn. Well, I'm, just really, I'm just really glad that Vampire Country is 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 carefully marked on the maps. That helps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody knows it's Transylvania, but but then you know, and of course everybody is gonna freak out if if you mention uh, anything about. Castle Dracula. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. It's like we we love tourists here, but don't tell us you're a tourist, or we're going to get really, <laughs> really, really cold to towards you there. <laughs> oh, and, and you know, I know the castle was great, right? Yeah, yeah. But then not so great was the what was with the sparsely decorated inn full of the frightened villagers. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like a Hammer film. It's like the second, yeah. uh, although less. It wasn't as well art directed. It was no, like no. this bare. It was like this bare stone room, and he goes in there, and of course everybody's staring at him like he's got two heads. <laughs> because know? he because because he's definitely not a local. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and they're like, of course, like, oh, you're a stranger here. You're not around from here, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, no. 
you know. And of course, as soon as he says where he's going, they all go back to like wolfing down their bowls of whatever the hell they were eating apples. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It looked it looked more colorful and appetizing than what I would than, than what I expect to see in those see, mm-hmm. scenes, which is just like a, a, a gluey glop of, of of gray mush in a bowl. At least the, you, there were identifiable vegetables in what they were eating. So I was like, that's and, and 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 then and then again, there's that part of me that's going, why am I taking note of what these these characters that mean nothing in this film are eating? What is wrong with my brain? Oh, and because we're obsessive. Well, like I'm watching, he yeah. says he wants a tall, cold beer. So he gives him like this stone mug. Yeah. He says, no, uh, I want a tall, cold beer. So he gives another one that's like maybe 5% bigger. Yeah. <laughs> you notice that too. I noticed that too. I was like, I think that's, yeah, it's like, is that the same wait, wait. mug? Is it? Yeah. Look, that, like, that extra ounce makes all the difference. I know. And it's like, no, we want, I'm waiting for him to go, no, I mean a big beer, like in Hunchback of the Morgue. Ah, you beat me to it. I was going to say that too. Yeah. So much beer that I could die from consuming. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And, and the one guy did. Yeah, exactly. He drank himself to death, literally. <laughs> <laughs> just destroyed his liver and expired in the street. But it's like, well, apparently that won't happen at this place because the uh, apparently the, the the beer service is as sparse as everything else. Well, it's almost as if they're they're measuring out beer the same way that restaurants measure out orange juice. It's like, here's oh, your God. thimble. <laughs> right. Of course, then there was the innkeeper's daughter. I, I guess that was the high the, the the high point. I don't I don't remember what the actress's name was, but you know, it's like at least at least they had her, you know, to to move the plot along. <laughs> yeah, of course. I well, call they, her they, the I call her the bonus virgin because you need five, <laughs> but number six delivers herself. Well, see, that's the thing that I like a lot. That, that's one of the funniest things to me. Okay, the the actresses, uh, the actress who plays the uh, the tavern keeper's daughter, praise her, praise her, praise her, is named Enza Sub Subdorn uh, Subdone. S B O R D O N E. She was only in about ten movies, and most of them were Italian Canterbury comedies. You know, Tales of Erotica, Canterbury. Uh, yeah, it, 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 so that's primarily what she was in. Uh, this was one of the last movies she was in, and after 1973, her film career was over for whatever reason. But I think it's hilarious that you know our. Our buddy Mark Damon's character shows up at this place. Spotser has exactly the same thought that everybody, I'm sure, has who spots or who travels through here, which is, well, that would be an interesting evening. And then <laughs> yeah. talk, talks, his, talks his way into her dress. And his 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 line the thing she she explains that the they, she explains the upcoming night of the Virgin Moon, where yep. virgins in the area get you know once a year get you know, summoned to the castle somehow or picked out in some strange way. And so his solution is, well, hey, baby, let me uh, protect you from that by having sex with you. You did say (laughs) virgin, right? (laughs) It's it's kind of like the the Joe D'Alessandro approach from, uh, you know, uh, Blood blood of Dracula. You beat me too. He said much more, more, oh, yeah, he said much more genteel, though, you know. Oh, he's much smoother, yeah. Yeah. Yes, he's, he's deflowering all the virgins, and poor Udo Kier's going, these whores are killing me. <laughs> oh, by the way, I did come up with what I think is possibly a great alternate title for this film, which is Treasure at Castle Dracula. Be- because that is what drives uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the uh, lecherous twin to go there. He's not, he's not going there looking for Nookie. That's just a bonus. So he's there, he's there looking for this, this, uh, this treasure that is supposed to be there. 
I like that title. You know, it it could almost be like a follow up to Santo in the Treasure of Dracula. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I was thinking yes. Treasure yeah. Santo in the Treasure yeah. of Dracula yeah. too. Just without the fun. time travel. <laughs> Six, and sixties time travel where you put on a funny hat and you have a pinwheel, you know. Yeah, you know, if, 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 if you know if the if the go if the drive-in, you know, exploitation grindhouse cinema circuit, you know, thing was still was still current, you know, when you they would have uh, taken this film and when Lord of the Rings was was big and just call it like you know Countess Dracula and the Ring of Power, you know. There you go. So, yeah, Ooh. reissue. <laughs> Ooh, this is good stuff. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll bet Ralph Zucker would have liked to have had all, some of this information. Yeah. This. You know, it makes me wonder, though, if we go back to the, the Schiller brothers, Carl and Franz. but it's Play, like, Played which, by Mark Damon. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Both played by Mark Damon, which begs the question. All right. So if which came first? It's like was the script written with twins? I mean, I would. OK, think OK. I was about to twins. I was about to scream the egg, but you got me. OK, yeah. OK. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Yes. Because I would think I would think so rather than going, hey, Mark Damon, let's just do twins. Well, here's the thing. Apparently, this is a story that Mark Damon had uh, been shopping around. He'd been wanting to do this for some time. He yeah, because he's listed as prime movers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. That's right. So I think that part of this may have been, you know, him, you know, do, wanting to be that, wanting to do that thing that so many actors want to do, which is to play against themselves, to play twins. To uh, you know, it's 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 a, it's a favorite amongst actors of all levels of competence, and so anybody who uh, gets the chance to do that, I, I, let's just put it this way: never been shocked that he was the one wanting to get this film made. Uh, it just it just it it reeks of uh, narcissism. I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes, and then back away from that word. But yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time. I enjoy the hell out of Mark Damon, and it is interesting to see him uh, wanting so hard to make another gothic film more than a decade after the movies that he made with uh, Roger Corman in the early '60s. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, true. It, it, first of all, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's great. I like watching him on screen, and I think he does. You know, a lot. I think he's helped uh, immeasurably by having a really good stand-in for when you know the two the two yes. characters are on screen together. Uh, yep. And I think that you know he's also helped immeasurably by the fact that uh, his nat- his natural uh, skin tone they uh, they they make the make, they make the the more uh, the more lecherous or more uh, greedy brother paler and so mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you, you, there's a there's a visual way to tell them apart. Uh, and the hair. I mean, I mean, Franz had like the bushy sideburns, and Carl had more of the free flowing. Hair. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It looked it looked cleaner to me. I don't know why. I don't want to say that Franz was swarthy or greasy, but hey, you know, one of them seemed to bathe more frequently. Let's put it. That <laughs> you know, I didn't think the split screens were that terrible, though. No, not at all. No, I was no, looking for seams, and it's like you know, I guess yeah. you know, if Massachusetts had you know, if Joe D'Amato had a, a hand in uh, pulling that off, I thought he did a pretty good job for 1973. I really thought that the the scenes with you know the twins interacting, yeah, were all handled very well. I mean, there wasn't really any moment that I remember recall like just thinking that something was kind of awkward looking or clumsy or you know when they were p- pulling that off. I thought with the technology of the time, I thought they did a, a fine job. And uh, I really like the funny thing I, in reading you know some of the reviews of this on you know IMDb on that, and and one of the common things whether they liked the film or not, it seems like everybody you know was universally 
slamming Mark Damon's performance in this film, and I don't really get oh, that. I think he, really? I think he did a good. Yeah, they keep talking about how bland he is or something. And I was like, really? I oh, thought he did God, great. No. I thought so too. I, I thought awesome. he carried it well. I'll tell you what I, 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 was, uh, I thought he was great. Me too. And uh, I'll tell you what I also came away with. And man, I I, I came up saying like, man, I want to see a whole series of vampire films starring Mark Damon because of vampire. Because I thought he made an incredible vampire man when they when he was finally vamped up and in his in his Dracula outfit there. I just thought. He oh looked yeah. Great. Well, uh, here's an observation for you. All the vampires have enormous fangs. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it reminded me of like there was a Monty Python episode where he had a director like in real life he had big teeth and they were trying to dance around why do your characters all have big um, teeth he's <laughs> like what do you mean uh, does anybody have a straw because <laughs> he can't drink out of a glass of water <laughs> well the the uh, first of all, there's there's so many things that they throw at the wall in this film that I think oh, I think yeah. it's kind of amazing, and it is kind of strange that it does manage to all kind of work. And the only things that uh, I'll point out as uh, problems uh, are uh, there are at least three or four different things that end up in the in in the film that are obvious anachronisms. Uh, the most obvious being in the first scene with the brothers. I'm sorry, but uh, the the studious brothers' glasses are a little too modern. modern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The film did have its its problems, and and I know you talked about the it could have used a little bit of editing. I mean, maybe even some of the direction might have been a little heavy handed in places. Like there was the the bit with the thumping heartbeat, which got to be a bit much, you know, it's like, Oh, that the old thumping heartbeat, you know, they're, they're doing that. And then the, the, the bizarre bat squeal noise. <laughs> yes. What was up with that? Oh, well, uh, that and, th and that is all of course wrapped around the, the, uh, Rosalba Neri's character, which, you know, we get that brief glimpse of, you know, before we cut away, we get that brief glimpse of a close-up of a bat squealing mm -hmm. before we yep. cut away, and then you know we you know the details of what happened afterwards are revealed later on in the film. But then right. at the end, and like I say, I, I want to apologize, people, because we're going to be spoiling the hell out of this Spoiler. because there's just absolutely no way that I can avoid not I, I I cannot keep myself from talking about what I'm about to talk about, which is holy shit, a giant bat. What the fuck? <laughs> no, the giant bat thing is just. <laughs> What a finale. <laughs> you know, well, and not only that, I know we're, we're kind of getting to that where it's like, yes, you get the giant bat, you know, and then also after that, you get not one, but two, you get like a double shock ending. Yeah. Well, yeah, I really kind of was I getting enjoyed. the Yeah, I kind of had the feeling. Yeah, those are fun. I also kind of got the kind of had to ask myself. You know, are they kind of like by the time the last 15, 10 minutes of this film, are they kind of just making it up as they go? <laughs> that was sort of <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, like if nothing else, were they not? Maybe I kind of got the feeling they weren't really sure how to end the film. And so they were just kind of spitballing at that point, you know. And if so, uh, they they stumble the ending they stumble across. I just I always puts a big smile on my face. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That was great. Well, and you know, it, it's funny because there were some things that were obviously planned. Like you had the bit where they show the mirror and oh, you show, yeah. okay, you know he's a vampire, right? Which, and I thought it was great because they were setting you up for later where Franz and, and Carl are having their fight. 
mm-hmm. you know, over girl, you know, because there's girl, yeah. you got girl number six, the the which Rosalba Neri called her the ultimate vestal sacrifice, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like they're having yeah. their fight, and you know, you're thinking that it's Franz, but it's like, aha, the reveal. You know, it's like, it's. It's Carl because the mirror reveals he's an imposter, and of course, Rosalba Neri's character yells, "He's an imposter!" Because <laughs> <laughs> he sees he, he's reflected in the mirror. <laughs> and then Mark Damon just goes nuts, you know, and it's like yeah. he, he he beheads all the hooded henchmen with an axe. <laughs> oh, he he becomes and, he becomes a demon with that freaking battle he's, axe. He's Damn. Superman. And then and then he goes to he torches Lara the zombie and then we haven't even talked about uh uh the 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 bald-headed uh uh, what's it? Zero Pappas. Oh, uh, I got him. I got him. The unibrow vampire. Was yes, that. our boy. Our boy from uh, Mario Marcini's, uh Frankenstein eighty. You know, and he, yeah. I thought he was great here too. He looked like he was having fun running around, and like so. I, I just I think they called him the Monster Man or something in the credits, and he plunges from a high window, and it's like. Holy crap! He's just dispatching with everybody all at once. <laughs> well, I, I, the, the, that character played by uh, by Zero Pappas, I just kept referring to in my notes as the the bald crypt monster. Because, yeah, bald crypt monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty apt description, actually. But what a great entrance for him! <laughs> oh, I <laughs> you know? know. Well, first of all, let's let's be clear before before I go into kind of taking us. Uh, through the, the the whole story of the film, and we'll we'll discuss it as we go along. I just want to single out that I knew I had seen uh, Zero Papas before. X I R O is how his first name is spelled, by the way. And yeah. I, I, I was I was fascinated to realize where I had seen him, you know, in different in different films and, and popping up in different places. Apparently, in his younger days, he was a boxer, and that's not much of a surprise as soon as you take a look at him. Yeah. Uh, yep. But yeah, he has been in a number. You know, he was in a number of films, a number of which I had seen. I'll, I'll, I'll have to admit, uh, French Sex Murders and uh, a couple of the spaghetti westerns he's been in, including yep. he was called and the Holy Devil, Ghost. Devil Kiss. He was in that one. Yep, yep. Frankenstein's Night of Freaks, which you know, pure classic. And yep. <laughs> but the uh, the when I when I found the more I found out about him, the more I realized that he could be just a rabbit hole to go down because, like I say, started out as a boxer. Ended up being a film producer as well. Huh. Yeah, yeah. He ended up producing uh, a couple of films, including a couple of Nazi exploitation films that he actually, one of which he was actually in, The Beast in Heat, the last film that he was actually in uh, on screen. He uh, he produced and uh, he he produced as well. So uh, it's it's really it's really weird to just take a look at this guy and and by the way, if you wanna if you wanna have a, have a moment, <laughs> if you wanna have a moment of holy shit. Uh, there are photos you can find of him with, uh, with although a receding hairline, hair and a mustache, and let's Hello. just say he looks very different. <laughs> I bet. I'll bet. I'll bet he. Th- well, you know, and you mentioned the Beast in Heat, which I think our director had a hand in. Yeah. Yeah. With with, with his, uh, I guess he was using a different pseudonym, or I guess Paolo Salve, I guess is the one of the pseudonyms because it's Luigi Bazzella. Yeah. Same think- guy who directed this. Yeah. Yeah, and and also nude for Satan, <laughs> which is another fun one, which came right after this one, I think, because I think Devil's Wedding Night. Well, Troy pointed out that was seventy three, and I think nude for Satan was seventy four. Mm. So very very fertile period there. Um, 
But yeah, and is it zero or is it zero? See, that's I've just it. I don't spelled, know. I don't I've know. seen it spelled C I R O, so it got me really? thinking. About it. But with an X, I'm thinking, is it zero? So I don't. I'm not really sure quite how to how to pronounce it. Yeah, and, and the fact that he was an, he was Italian means that I'm really not sure which way with a with a personal name you'd go. So. I have no idea, but yes, yeah, so well, we're course, just we're just know. Americans mispronouncing everything. So we'll just yeah, we'll just, we are. We'll just press on and be ugly Americans. It's yeah. it's my brand. That's what I do. So uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's like Brad Pitt and the Inglorious Bastards. It's like Buongiorno. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I speak the most Italian. <laughs> the, most, I, the most Italian. <laughs> oh, and then what you did what was it Eli Roth spoke the second most and then he said and then Omar speaks the third most and Omar's like I don't speak any Italian <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh my lord we, we should, let's let's take a let's take a look at the rest of the cast we've already talked about uh the lady who plays the uh the <laughs> the the daughter the the one who uh I, I, you know just looking at her I'm oh, really Inza, not all the Inza, Inza Alza Inza, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to call her Inza Outza. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not so sure that uh, that uh, Mark Damon's character was, uh, you know, helping her out by deflowering her. She looked like someone who knew her way around the bed pretty effectively. But the uh, <laughs> yeah, the but the uh, uh, I would like to po- would like to point out that there was much more to uh, one of the actors. He doesn't have any dialogue at all. He's just referred oh. to as kind of the mysterious man, the guy who oh, would first I, see. I, I called him the weird, smiling, top-hatted ring grabber. Is <laughs> what I called him because well, I didn't know because I was trying to. I just kept kind of oh, adding stuff to his name. It's like okay, now he's a ring grabber. Now he's top-hatted. It's like and he started reminding me of like the. The mysterious guy from the Vampire Lovers, who you ah uh, yes, thank you. I, I had that in my notes too. Yeah, yeah, you saw him on horseback. Yeah, and it's like, but yeah, and it's like I'd never even heard of the actor. It's like Genghis or Genger Gotti or something like mm-hmm. that. Well, that's I, the thing. There's a there's a reason you've never heard of him. He was only in about eight or nine things altogether. Yeah, it's, I looked him up, and it's like okay, so he was in Jorge Grau's Let Cor- Sleeping Corpses Lie, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Me either. So, but he was he was kind of an interesting presence here because he kept well, doing that that weird smile, you know, and it's just sort of like, okay, what what is he doing here? What is he manipulating? What's what's going on? And then, and of course, you get that that's part of the, the he, well, I guess he was part of the uh, the first surprise ending. I guess well, Cause, cause yeah, surprise I'm, ending yeah. number one, and then you yeah, get surprise exactly. ending number two. Well, he's uh, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad we're. I was waiting for us to get to talk about this guy because he's the, this character because it's this is by far the most befuddling character in the whole film. And, and <laughs> I actually, I actually had him listed. I just, I, 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 my, it's funny that we each had our own title for how we, in our notes for it. Mine was the smirker. I just got him the smirker. The smirker, yes. <laughs> and uh, I listed. I put that his 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 superpower was breaking the fourth wall. Was his, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly because he would just look right at us. He yeah. turned, he would turn, and he'd just smirk at us like, <laughs> "Yeah, I, I know something you don't." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just you wait. I got something waiting for you at the end of this movie. <laughs> but you know, I, I thought when I saw him, I thought, "Okay, I'm going to look him up, and he's going to be in millions of films because he's got one of those faces like it's another. He's like a Reggie Nalder or something. He just yeah. you know, like he had to have played just a, vil- a villain and." 
upteen million films, and that turned out not to be the case. It's too yeah. bad because he was kind of fun. You know, yeah. it made me think though. It's like, could you imagine being at a drive-in? Uh, what did a drive-in audience think of this in the seventies? I guess maybe oh, they uh, happened yeah. to were stoned, but it's like, yeah. like <laughs> you know, or tripping, and it's like, man, that would be quite quite the experience watching this movie. <laughs> Well, I have to say that that particular actor, like I said, I thought I was going to look him up and find this whole long list of films and realize, oh, okay, this guy's been around. Well, no, but he was in so few films. But I have to admit that uh, as often happens when I'm looking up the, the background of some actor that I'm curious about, there's a movie that he was in playing uh, Osvaldo the Butcher. Uh, <laughs> that uh, It's called, okay. it's called uh, a, a White Dress for Mariali or Marial, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, I started watching that. Did have have either of you guys watched that all the way never, through? Yet? I have never seen it, but I've got to say, no, Evelyn yeah. Evelyn Stewart, Ivan Rasimov, Luigi Pastili, and yeah. this guy P, uh, Pilar uh, Valles, uh, Valles, Valesquez. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest, it's one that I want to see. Whether it ends up sucking or not, I have no idea. But there's a really nice print on Tubi. Really? Yes. Yeah, that's where I started watching it. I, I get so distracted on Tubi because I, I flip around there and it's like I'll be watching like today, you know, before I was killing time, you know, before we got on here and I'm flipping around going, oh, here's So Sweet, So Perverse. And it's like, oh, I forgot Helga, Helga Linnae was in this. And then she's in bed with Trintignant and I'm like, whoa, I really forgot she was in this, you know. Uh, and, <laughs> and then I'm flipping over. It's like, oh, they have Black Belly of the Tarantula and they have this gorgeous print. And I started watching it. You know, of course, it starts with Barbara Boucher getting a nude massage, which is what made me think of Barbara Boucher earlier. And then I'm like, <laughs> "Oh crap! I got a podcast to do." <laughs> I got to pull. I've got to pull my pants back up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the wife's out of town, so hey. But you know, we'll, we'll keep all our secrets. You know what? What happens in the podcast stays in the podcast. God darn it! <laughs> yes, and only the people who listen to this will ever know our shame. That's so. that's right. <laughs> they'll, they'll, what's, they'll know what's utter complete and utter swine we are. If they don't know by now, it's too late for them to yeah, figure right. it out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I, it's like Popeye says, "I am what I am." So it's like, well, it's, it's like I, we all we all have our our crosses to bear, and it's like, okay, I, we all have things that we obsess over. So it's like, well, speak, boy, yeah. don't we? Speaking There's of one. crosses, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, speaking of crosses, why did no one speak of crosses in this film? Good point, <laughs> because, because they, oh, yeah. they had the amulet. Because they had the amulet of Pazuzu. It's just, yeah, <laughs> it's like, Which, as far as I can tell, does no good. I know because Pazuzu is a demon. Did that not occur to anyone? It's like, uh, why would a demon? Why would a demon p- protect you from other, from evil? That just makes no sense whatsoever. It, it, it made and, absolutely and if, no sense. Well, and, and, as if to drive, and once again, people, spoilers. As if to drive home the fact that this amulet is a piece of shit. The final <laughs> shot of the movie has a vampire reaching out of a grave and grabbing it. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And it's like not only that. It's like, all right. So there. So right there. So let's talk about this now. So there's shock ending number two. So yeah. you've got yeah. what I wrote. I call hit stake through the heart undead buried Franz. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. He thrusts his hand from his grave to grasp mm-hmm. the amulet. Right yeah. after he's been staked. So it's like yeah. wait a minute. Which Carl decided to leave for him there. 
And and of course, you know, that's that's where they I guess they freeze framed it or something, which was a great ending. I mean, it was yeah. a, it was a real yeah. striking shot, but it made absolutely no sense. Yeah, yeah. It, made, yeah. it makes no sense. Yeah, that's that was my my notes. I wrote none of this makes any sense, but it's so much fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then and then I and then you go to let's go to shock ending number one, which involves the innkeeper's daughter, who yeah. a la yeah. it, it made me think of the end of the the first Count Yorga vampire, which is like yeah. she reveals fangs and she kills Carl, and then our mysterious smiling guy uh, mm. obtains the ring. You know, basically grabs it from him as as he's di- you know Carl's dying. <laughs> yeah. Know? But it's like, okay, when did the when did the innkeeper's daughter become vampirized? You know, I mean, I mean, I guess it could have happened in a number of places. Whether was whether it, was the scene where we think that she, you know, she's trying to bring. There's a scene where she gets abducted, right, or something. She gets attacked when she's down there, like in the in the castle grounds, right? And I they mean, cut away from it, yeah. And then the next oh. time we see her, the next time we see her, she's being led into the ritual. So I, I mean, it. I puzzled over that too. I was thinking like. Okay, but so, so maybe then that was where she was. But when the thing actually, when she was actually attacked, obviously by Countess Dracula, you know, yes. we thought she was just abducted for we didn't, but she actually must have been bitten at that point. I You're guess. right. That's where it was because she saw she saw it. She was um, that was that was the thing with the bat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know that gave it away right there. Um, you know, but going back to Rosalba Neri, so it's like, you know, just backing it up a little bit, I, I had to write down her character's name because it's like she was like the Contessa Dolingen de Vries. And it's like, Vries, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, she's more like obviously the inspiration is Elizabeth Batori. But yeah. it's like, and we, well, even, we even get a psychedelic bloodbath with her later on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and and then it's sort of like so, uh, you know. I'm thinking so. Franz becomes Count Dracula because mm-hmm. she's going my husband. You know, it's like well, yeah. okay. So this was her goal all along is to what? I no. guess lure a good-looking man to the to the castle, vampirize him, uh, have the spirit of Count Dracula enter him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let the loving begin. I don't know. Yeah, because you figure, all right, because she exp- she even did explain some of that to him where it's like, okay, I got to, you know, she's with Mark Damon. It's like, you know, you're my husband. I'd really like to get in on with you right now, but I got to go preside over this ritual sacrifice, mm-hmm. which is going to, you know, mark our, our black mass wedding. Right, yeah. where you got where you got Esmeralda Barros. It's like what a sequence, you know. She's Laura the zombie, and she's and they they go to great pains to make sure they show us on almost every one of them. So Laura the zombie, she strips and gropes yep. all yeah. the young virgins. She has to take the t- a moment to strip them, but she has to grope them too. As you got these I wrote turgid hooded henchmen <laughs> standing behind them, and I thought, you know what? If you put that uh, as box copy on a video, the movie would be sold. <laughs> yeah, yes, this is true. Yes. But another thing that made absolutely no sense is like she's viciously cutting their throats. So they slaughter the girls and you think there should have been blood everywhere. So it's like, okay, are these hooded henchmen? I guess they're cleaners. Because <laughs> shortly after it's like they have, mo- know, they have mops. There's, there's we no, just don't see them. <laughs> there's no blood. None. <laughs> it's like, where did it all go? It's, it's like, I mean, we saw it going into the, I, I guess the, 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 
bathtub for all intents and purposes earlier, which was another amazing sequence with Rizal Baneri where she's slowly yeah. pouring the blood over her and then she stands up. Yeah. In and you missed and, and I, I was I think my jaw actually literally say your your mind at that point your mind just sort of walks away, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> yeah, it sure did. And my brain. <laughs> so just yeah. yeah. Uh, it just dribbled out of my ears. I yeah. it, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> that's yeah. just pretty spec that's just spectacular. Well, I tell you what, let's uh, go through uh, a kind of basic plot synopsis of this, and we'll use that as a clothesline to discuss some other details that we haven't touched on yet, okay? All right. And it doesn't give you a strange feeling living here, in the very same castle once inhabited by the infamous Count Dracula. Quite frankly, it has no such effect upon me, Mr. Schiller. I feel very much at home here. Oh, Forgive me, I seem to have committed a faux pas. You are related then to the Count. <laughs> you need have no fear. I'm merely indebted to him insofar as his infamous name and reputation made it possible for me to acquire this estate for a rather modest sum. <laughs> I can't help asking myself how a woman, lovely and charming as you are, and by wasting her beauty in the confines of these melancholy walls. The outside world has so... <laughs> what? Parties? Dances? And other mundane frivolities? <laughs> no. It can offer me no more than that which I already have. The peace and quiet. This marvelous sense of solitude and eternal tranquility which permeates everything around here. It makes me feel more alive in sensings, sensations, which one misses in the outside world. Can you understand? Yes, I understand. But I fear that I could never give up to the extent that you have those mundane frivolities which afford me so much pleasure. Who knows what pleasures you might find if you tried. So, guys, I just had a revelation. I realize now what the smirker, our mysterious man, what that smirk means, that smile at the audience. When he turns and smiles at the camera, what he's saying to the audience was, huh, you thought you were getting an exorcist film. (laughs) (laughs) You may be right. You could be right. I like that. (laughs) You know, he did have that look, though. That's what I thought, too. It's like he's like, "Mm mm-hmm. You've been so, so, so essentially, there should just be a, a subtitle under his his smirking face that reads "sucker." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's you're not far wrong. Okay, well let's uh, let's dig into this 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 synopsis, and it's it's not very it's not a very long synopsis, and I actually. Uh, when I read it, when I first read this synopsis, I actually wanted to have a fight with this synopsis because it's not as accurate as I want it to be. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. But we're going we're gonna to use it and critique it at the same time. Here we go. The Devil's Wedding Night. Two rival brothers are looking for the magic ring of the... <laughs> okay, you see what I mean here? We're yeah. starting off... No, they're not rivals. I, I, sure. I, can't get in, I can't get past the first half of the first sentence. It's like, first of all, they don't appear to be rival brothers. 
No, nope. they appear to be actually really fond of one another. Yeah, yep. yeah, they, they seem to be very friendly and very happy with each other, with uh, different personalities, and that's as far as it goes. Yep. But nevertheless, yep. the the this magic ring, which is a mystic jewel that confers all power to the one who possesses it. The first brother, Carl, is an archaeologist who wishes to give it to an archaeological institute. That's fairly accurate. I'll let that go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. The second, Franz, is a materialist who wants to appropriate it, appropriate it and be rich and powerful. Now, once again, I would leave off the powerful. All he's looking for is money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right, because he's got the gambling, the, the aforementioned gambling debts. Yeah, yeah. and he, that, that's he seems what I to, thought the motivation was. Right, and he seems to poo-poo this whole idea of there being magical rings or anything like that. But he, his interest certainly perks up when his brother Carl is talking about gold. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that sounds good. Wait a minute, where is this again? Yeah. So Franz, after having read Carl's research notes, travels to the Carpathian Mountains in Transylvania to the ancient castle Dracula. Now, a few, a few things here. Uh by the time he has walked up to uh, the, the front of Castle Dracula, we've already he's already stopped at the inn, had his one ounce larger beer, uh, <laughs> bet, 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 betted the tavern oh, keeper's daughter. A very small daughter. beer. Yeah. yeah. Le- left behind his uh, the the protective talisman that his brother Carl showed him, so that uh, so that he uh, so that friends understood that Carl had uh, some kind of what he felt was appropriate protection before venturing into vampire territory left that behind because he's a, he's an idiot who apparently is gets forgetful when he has sex. Right. With the innkeeper's daughter. Right. Who, and I would just who, like to point who appears, out that, who appears to be running an overnight courier service. Cause she delivers the amulet of protection from evil to the know, castle. After yeah. she goes out of her way to try to talk him out of going to this place, she like picks up this piece of jewelry and just flounces off to it to give it to him. It's like, dear, I'm pretty sure that you're not in love with this guy. So right. I'm not. Well, and think about when she's doing it. Terrible timing. She explains to him it's the night of the Virgin Moon, and you're going to have these these five virgins that are going to disappear from the village and never yeah. be seen again. And I think he even asks us like, "Well, how does that happen?" And she's like, "I don't know." Nobody seems to know. It's just Nobody one of those things that happens. By the way, it was written on this page, and I said it, so it's part of the movie. Now shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. So okay. So carry on. Oh well, I was just going to say that uh, as he's as he's uh, going up to the door of Castle Dracula, my personal favorite anachronistic thing is, is in this segment where he's walking through the gardens up to the up to the door. Uh, is uh, you can you can very easily spot some telephone poles in amongst the trees. Oh goodness! <laughs> I yeah, didn't, <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I did not either. I didn't catch that. That's yeah, great. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's at least there's at least one that I would be more than happy to show you because it's on yeah. screen for about forty seconds. And it's was like, that okay. was that during the the long and repeated atmospheric walk through the through the the mist and the lightning by the five virgins? No, 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 no. Uh, the, this is uh, while he. This is at the in the first third of the film when he's so this just is arrived Ron's. at Castle Dracula. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, more anachronisms. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's 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 more than that later later on in a couple of shots. Uh, although I'm willing to give them this because you can try to pretend that it's something else, but it's like oh, there's a that's either an electrical wire or a telephone wire. I don't know which it is, uh-huh. but it, it's not an 1800s kind of thing, especially not an 1800s thing. Well, let, let, let's be clear. The The film is set in a period of time before the publication of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is why 
nobody seems to know, you know, anything about Dracula other than it just being a count who had, you know, who lived once in Tran- once in Transylvania. It's still not he's not already been made famous by the, the publication of this novel in 1897. So this is before then. So that is all well and good, which also means there are no phones. <laughs> There's no electricity. And so I'm trying to pretend, okay, that's probably not an electrical wire that I see back there. We'll just pretend that it's not. Uh, so the uh, but the innkeeper's daughter tells him about that that first full moon night of the summer that the five virgins from the village are chosen by the powers of evil and taken to the castle to be sacrificed, and by the way, that the place is infested with vampires, and you know, we yeah, which we, explains all the fear of the castle with everybody yeah, in the inn. Exactly. She gives. Uh, well, see, here's another thing where I where I where I'm wondering whether or not the person who wrote this particular synopsis was even fucking paying attention. Yeah, I uh, wonder sometimes. She gives Franz an amulet for protection. No, she does not. <laughs> We've already talked about the amulet, and that is right. completely wrong. See what, yeah. I, what see what I mean yeah. about wanting to have Richie, a fight with this synopsis? Yeah, I do. Yep. Well, right. after spending the night with the girl, Franz leaves her to go to the castle, but of course forgets to take the amulet with him. <laughs> in, <laughs> in the uh, manner of Count Dracula, uh, he is greeted by the housekeeper, Laura, that's Esmeralda Barrows, who, by the way, seems zombie. to be she? She, yep, yeah, yep. But she's, I, I, I want to stress this a lot. Uh, she appears to be a teleporting zombie because <laughs> the first time we see her, she just appears out of nowhere behind him, and with no way of having gotten there, with no, you know, and, and this happens a couple of more times in the movie where she's just like suddenly in the room, and there's a part of you that just wants to have have friends look at her and go, "I'm going to put a fucking bell on you." <laughs> because I need to know when you're going to show the hell up. Well, but, and while while we're talking about Laura the zombie, also maybe she really is a zombie. Because wasn't there a moment where Franz had a dagger and he, he did stick her with it? I think that's later in the film. But yeah, yeah. That, but, but 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 that's the thing is like after he's that first night he's there, he goes creeping around the castle because he's he's fed the he's fed the the countess. He he, he meets with the countess. Uh, <laughs> the whole name you said it a minute Countess Delogan or Delogan DeVries oh, Dol- Dol- Dolingen DeVries Dolingen, yeah. yeah Count Comtessa Dolingen DeVries I, I had to write it down because I couldn't remember <laughs> yeah it's completely crazy anyway she's she's uh, the, the Count's quote unquote wife says that he'll be back uh, either later that night or some other time he'll, he'll be back eventually da 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 and uh, so they have dinner together and I love the dinner conversation because the, the dinner conversation, I just wrote down lots of fuck talk at the dinner table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was. I, I wrote down the phrase double entendre and then crossed oh. it out and went barely a double entendre. It's just yeah. fuck talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> a pretty ripe dialogue. Yeah. It's, uh, I think my favorite line was uh, from it all was the uh, where she says, I'm also a lady of the night. You know, I thought that was uh, exactly. Yeah. He, he, he was being he was being very canny by talking about how af- having met her, he feels that all the women that he's known in the past were yeah. were uh, mere ladies of the night. Well, and, and she, she also made a comment about dis- a lady and discretion. <laughs> so it's like, yes. okay. <laughs> it's pretty uh, interesting. <laughs> so it's like, you know, obviously these two are going to be swapping spits soon. There's no way around it. So uh, the uh, uh, that night, uh, our, our buddy uh, Franz, who uh, is uh, really just there for the money, but, you know, 
he will take the sex too. Wanders around the castle, kind of trying to fix. Fe- mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, opportunist, exactly. Uh, he, he's, he, he decides uh, to look around the castle to see if he can turn up any of this gold because, you know, that's what he's interested in in the first place. Yep. And he wanders outside and finds an open grave with Lara, Esmeralda oh, yeah. Barris' character, yeah. laying in a coffin. I yeah. completely <laughs> forgot about that. That was so striking, too. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, there's a dead girl out in the yard. <laughs> and it's that dead girl that mysteriously teleported in behind me earlier. What the hell? <laughs> and then he tells her later. It's like, I yeah. found her in an yeah. open grave outside. <laughs> and he's, like, really stressing this. Hey, look. No, you don't seem to understand. <laughs> when she pops up is when the, the laughter fit happens. So um, Right, right, yeah. right. It, that was well, bizarre. Is at this point, uh, if there's been any doubt in anyone's mind about which brother has been on this trek, uh, we cut back to uh, the uh, it, to, to Carl. I was going to say the good brother, but to be honest, Carl. neither one of them are necessarily particularly evil. Uh, we go, right. we come back to Carl, who discovers that his amulet's gone, and that his mm. brother is gone, and that he realizes, oh my God, Franz has gone off to this place ahead of me, because of course he's looking for the for the quick buck. So now we know we've got the lecherous brother here, big shock, the archaeologically minded brother now on the way. And I just I just want to point out that I think one of the funnier things in this movie is that when we see either of these brothers traveling to Transylvania, they're on horseback and they are just galloping. No for yeah, looking. I mean, they're working that horse to death. Well, and I want I want to stress really heavily yeah. that since this appears to be a long trip. Any horse driven at that rate of speed for very long would be dead. collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, that, I'm going to go ahead now because this is the good point to do it is, is talk about the um, what I think is one of the more badly, I guess, what poor director choices or edit, editing choices in the film. And one thing about this film is, is um, I kind of came away, you know, I find it in, endlessly entertaining through the whole film, but it definitely is kind of seems to me like it's one moment you're seeing something really visually stunning and a really clever idea and something that works really well, kind of followed by something that either completely perplexes you or is just like awkwardly done, you know, it's just not, not such a great choice. Lazy. One thing that really bothered me was during this segment here where Carl, you know, realizes what Franz has done, decides that he's got to go there as well on his horse, like you said, galloping and galloping. And it keeps cutting back and forth between the, uh, Scenes of you know between Rosalba Neri and 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 Mark Damon as Franz, you know their interplay, they're they're talking and all their stuff they're doing, and then it just keeps jarring back the you know cutting back in these these continual <laughs> scenes of, of Carl just galloping and then suddenly and when it does that heroic music you know dramatic music dun, jumps dun, in, it's, it's yes. and we're back to the you know dinner table conversation or the wooing. And it does it so many times that it becomes to me kind of really comical. I mean, like I started laughing every time I did it because it to me was just to me that was like one of the worst directorial or editorial choices in the film. I mean, one or two times is okay, but it did it so much that I it really almost seemed like comic, like intentionally comical. I mean, it was just very strange. It is very strange. I I, I agree with you, but the thing is, and I don't, and, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just trying to tell you what my mindset is for this kind of thing is that in these gothics like this, those are things that I, I guess I kind of expect because they didn't they, they don't in any way take me out of the film. They oh, just yeah. they feel they feel like exactly what is supposed to be there. And I think that's just from having seen too many of these things. I'm not positive yeah. though. 
well, I mean, I would even go so far to, you know, what to, to you know, to kind of ref- what I just said about the film is, is I, I, I kind of love the things that don't work as almost as much as I love the things that do work. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like, yes. it's kind of like when you're a Euro yes. horror fan, you kind of, you're kind of affection, you kind of have the same amount of affection for the wonky, bizarre boy. That just was a wrong choice. Yeah. Uh, kind of things that you do the things that like oh my god that's beautiful what an incredible image you know you just love it all you know <laughs> you do well it's like it strikes if it strikes you in the right moment you can love yeah. a badly crafted film as yeah. much as a masterpiece you know well because because so much of in this film like this film's a classic example because so much of what I would consider to just be the crazy things they're just they're they're still inventive in their own weird crazy way they may they may not make any sense yeah you know and they and they don't necessarily really work as far as what you think conventional filmmaking be, but that's not why you go to these things for conventional filmmaking. You go to them for these just off the wall, uh, bizarre ideas, you know, where like you said, like they're throwing, you know, they're kind of just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, you know? And, and, uh, well, and you know, there are little details that worked like we were, we got as far as Carl gets to the castle. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and Franz is kind of, you know, disappeared for a little while at that point, right? And it's yeah. just like, okay, so Rosalba Neri answers the door and she's got this look on her face. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's like, and, and then he just goes into just totally naturally, it's like, I see by the look of your face that this is something I'm not unfamiliar with. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah I'm yeah. his twin brother. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, okay, you know, and that did work for it me. It did. And she oh, yeah, great. very... She was. She, she does a. You're you're right to point out that scene as one of the more nuanced and interesting of her perform of her performance moments in the movie. She does a really fine job there. Yeah. Yeah, she's. Um, you know, because we have like kind of you know, uh, you know this this podcast literally been dripping with our lust for Rosalba Neri. You know, so it's. <laughs> yeah. it's a, so uh, we should say something about her performance as as an actor is quite good in this film, and and uh, she's. I was noticing that. She's uh there's there's something like she plays the role in something there's something very kind of like predatory in her performance um yes yeah. kind of almost like I don't know reptilian or kind of animalistic but it's very underplayed I mean she does it really well I thought so I was just continually both times I watched the film I was just like man she really is good in this role you know she's she, she has I I totally agree with you and she she's an excellent actress I mean more than just a pretty face and a pretty body but right. there's just something about her that's just smoldering simmering underneath the surface you yeah. know it's it's like when she's when she's looking at you know Mark Damon I mean being with her in person yes <laughs> I, I can imagine as an actor he must have thought Oh my God! I think I'm going to pass out. <laughs> well, she she reminds me uh, of Helga Linné in this respect, which is that both of the both of those women have the ability to, with just the barest movement of their mouths, mm-hmm. into a, a slight grin or a smirk, yeah. just to communicate. A, a world of different possible meanings, and she's very good at, at that. Uh, here, I think I think. I think she has more to. I think she has more opportunity to stretch out in things like Lady Frankenstein. But yeah. there are some moments, and that moment you point out at the door is one of those where she gets the opportunity to really kind of, to really kind of play surprise that she's trying to hide that she can't hide very effectively. It, it's yeah. it's it's really it's really well done. And you're right. We we do talk a lot about how beautiful some of the ladies in these classic European horror films are. And it's it's something else to to really kind of dig into the fact that 
honestly, they did their jobs extraordinarily well. They yeah. knew what they were doing, and they were, in a lot of cases, really well coached and really well directed to give these performances that really stick with you for a very long time. It's wonderful And well to watch photographed, them. especially in oh, this yeah. one. I, I yeah. appreciated yeah. that the, the quality of the Code Red print was there because... Yeah. You know, I mentioned the scene before where she stands up in that mist and she's got the the blood and the gore all over. That's pretty spectacular. But well, yeah, that's, really let's talk about that. But but you talked about her her face, and I wanted to focus on that for a minute because uh, Joe D'Amato, who's the cinematographer, I thought did a great job because there were a lot of yeah. huge yeah. close-ups of her face, and it's like, yes, that's exactly what the cinematographer should do because she she is such a fascinating and compelling subject and he got her from all kinds of different angles and it's like i found myself staring at her nose <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah oh that's god yes that, that that beautiful there's nose, nobody yeah. that looks like her no not at all yeah. he's so distinctive and so easily instantly recognizable anytime i see her in anything you know even a minor role it's like oh, there's rosalbanera you know like you'll see her in peplums you know yes and she always she always stands out always. we get it yeah definitely got to give uh because i know that you know uh, his 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 work as a director can certainly be uh, hit or miss, but uh, uh, Joe D'Amato, yeah, definitely got to give him props for his cinematography in this film. is, is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I definitely, mean, that walk definitely. of the, the walk of the five virgins, you know, there is uh, um, that that's one of those sequences that, at the same time, like I'm kind of thinking, okay, this was a lot of you know, obviously is adding a lot of padding out to the runtime, and it probably could have been edited a little bit. At the same sure. time, it just looks so good. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm also thinking, man, visually, this is right up there with, with, you know, with, with anything that, you know, that um, Leon Kamofsky did. You Werewolf Horses of the Vampire Women with a walking through the mist, you know. Yeah, it's just, you know, this is just really beautiful stuff. It, it was, it was great, you know, and the use of the, the mist and the lightning, you know, and mm -hmm. of course, all of that plays into it at the end. But mm -hmm. so, Rod, you were going over the synopsis. So we've gotten as far as Franz at the castle. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, well, well, no, we get we've gotten Carl to the castle now too. So he's, and, he's well, okay, and we got Carl to, right because Franz had been at the castle. We got Carl to the castle now. At this point, we we're not exactly sure what has happened to Franz, right? So, uh, but the surprise is registered on the Countess's face when uh, when Carl shows up, and of course, it's right after we uh, we have the brother arriving at the castle. We have. Uh, our first complete and total WTF moment. As a matter of fact, in my notes, I registered it as a WTFF moment, which <laughs> I like to refer to as a what the fuckity fuck, because <laughs> it is the psychedelic, I call it the psychedelic yeah. threesome complete yeah. with bloodbath. This is yeah. the Elizabeth ba Bathory, uh, the Elizabeth, Elizabeth Batory seg segment where we get to watch a completely nude uh, mm -hmm. Rosal Baneri, uh have uh, stage blood dribbled onto her by Esmeralda Barros. Yep. And uh, all of you crazy freaks out there with a blood fetish get to have a really good time rewinding. So this is... It, there. There's another one of these later on, but this is the first moment in the film where it goes on long enough that it becomes a question of Okay, what's happening now? <laughs> In other yeah. words, have we has the has the film's cheese left its cracker 
or are we going <laughs> to reel this back in and, and return yeah. to the previous plot line that we were following? So has the butter slipped off the noodles? Yeah, yeah. It's like where are we? What the hell? And it does, but. I think that, quite honestly, they must have had the desire to have Rosalba Neri <laughs> get naked and dribble stage blood on her, and this was the best way they could figure out how to do it. Well, they had they had to get the, the Elizabeth Vittori angle in there. Or were they just having fun? I don't know. Which I qualify the movie, if we're going to use, uh, you know... Uh, uh, if we're going to start stringing letters together, let's see. Let's. Uh, I would just qualify this as FFAF, which is fucking fun as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which go. is a very fun movie. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'll, I'll stick I didn't, with that. I can't take credit for that one. Somebody else coined it, but I think it was mm. because we were playing a video game and somebody just blurted out, this is fucking fun as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And that's pretty fun. So yes, yeah, yes, it is. Well, the uh, the film does reel itself back in. Uh, we we get uh, now we get to watch uh, Carl wandering around the castle after dark, trying to figure out if he can find anything, or maybe even find his brother, because he's been told that his brother uh, left. He like got up that morning and right. headed out. Right. And she he's, was all miffed by. She was really miffed by that. And I think she said she was even insulted. Yeah, because he apparently she she says that uh, yes he uh, he came in he explained that he that he spent all the time that he was here just walking around and making notes about the arc the uh, the uh, architectural nature of the place uh, and then uh, didn't even say goodbye he just left and she's she so she's you know obviously lying we know at this point that they were bumping ugly so hey come on she's the, she's telling stories here folks and Carl knows Franz was lying because he's like architect. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. It's like he, he knows damn good and well that his brother was going to lie because his brother's here to kind of try to get, you know, it's a, it's a get rich quick scheme for him. Yes. So yes. so uh, that night, Carl follows the sound of a, of a heartbeat. And of course, this is a reference to the telltale heart, because at the beginning of the film, something we did not take into account and bring out as we were discussing this is that there's some back and forth talk between the brothers about Edgar Allan Poe. As a matter of fact, yes. one of them quotes, right. uh, quotes the, all he said he was all the rage at the time, which dated the film. Yeah, exactly. It's the, this is the mid eight. This is the the mid. Well, I guess it would be the 1850s, 1860s, somewhere around in there. So yeah, because he's, he's quoting literally quoting lines from the Raven. Yeah. So this is you know this when you mentioned earlier the whole uh, heartbeat on the soundtrack. You know, it's an obvious pull from the Telltale Heart, mm. and it seems as if this there is another go. thing. This is another thing that's being threaded into the film as just another influence being ladled onto the gothic nature of the story being told. I can accept that. Very good. All right. I've, now I feel like maybe it was a little less heavy because I, I thought it was heavy-handed with the heartbeat, but it's like all right now it kind of has a reason for being there. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, good rod. Because uh, I yeah, I hadn't thought of that either. Pretty good connection. Uh huh. <sighs> See, I'm making people like this film even more than they already do. I was going to say it's, it's going to be hard job. for you to make me like this much more than I ever. Did. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really love this. Movie. Okay. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well. Uh, the. Uh, this is where he uh, he goes down into the crypts, uh, decides he's gonna he's gonna like crack these things open and see what's inside. Uh, and I love the camera work in this. There's a moment where he he goes to do this, and the and the camera comes up beside uh, the crypt that he's uh, tr- he's trying to, to dig a 
to, to dig into to try to, to uh, crack open and get the uh, the lid off of. And there's this some great roving camera stuff in here. It makes me feel like the uh, this is the, the Joe D'Amato as cinematographer stuff where we're getting this stuff that looks really, really great. And then we get to see the uh, the mist starting to come out of the, the other crypt uh-huh. behind him and slowly yeah. creeping out creeping out of that crypt we get the the the, the monster critter played by z- z- zero <laughs> there zero. zero or zero papas zero the hero that's right who's this you know big, that sequence big made freak. me you know what that sequence made me think of and I, I wish I could see a print as good as the Italian print of this is Margariti's uh, web of the spider because yes. at the beginning oh, yeah. when Kinski oh. is oh. like just rage raging through the uh you know the uh the the underground you know the water dripping and and like you know he's, he's basically in a in a tomb you know and it's like it just made me think of that also just it had that kind of atmosphere which i guess the margariti film when was web of the spider like 1970 something 70 like? yeah 19 yeah so that was a little bit earlier but i thought it's like wow Mm-hmm. You know, Massachusetts did a great job here, kind of, I think he just kind of captured, because that was a gothic too, of course, uh-huh. and, and and I really, I really, really enjoy that one, but anyway. There, there's well, I, I agree with you, I think Web of the Spider is fantastic. Yeah. Um, the A lot of people like to uh, to uh, look down on it, because it is him uh, doing a remake of Castle of Blood in color, uh, and, right. but, well, but I think... It, but I think it's phenomenal. I think it's just an excellent film. And and we could you know we could spend an hour talking about that because I'm one of those people that I I think the remake is I prefer it to Castle of Blood. In some you, ways, I do as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Troy, I don't know how you feel about it. You know, some people will say, "Oh, that's sacrilege," you know. But I love Castle of Blood. But yeah, I, boy, I, I go back to Web of the Spider far more often. Yeah, that's a good good question the last time that i watched either of the films i really watched them you know close together i actually watched them pretty much back to back you know mm-hmm. and, and couldn't really come away i still kind of felt like i leaned a little more towards the original but but the first one but i really enjoyed them both and of course you know you gotta love kinski of course you know it is just great to be have him in anything and uh i, I thought they both stood well on their own um I, you know i guess i probably still favor the first one a little more but but both both very good films well, yeah, I well, would it's hard like to, to argue would, with Barbara Steele. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I, w- I would like to point out that I was very pleased to be able to, along with Adrian, uh, contribute a commentary track about Castle of Blood for that uh, upcoming Severance set. Oh, um, so I can't wait to very, hear that. And, and, and you will be happy to know that I uh, do get some words of praise for Web of the Spider into that commentary track. Good, good, good. Uh, uh, looking forward to that. Could not resist. Wasn't going to resist. It had to be talked about. You were just shamelessly shilling to get a chance to do a commentary on that. I'm sure. So at some. Oh well, I mean, you know, if if that ever happens, the uh, the previous Blu-ray that came out is a pretty amazing. Web of the Spider got a pretty darn good release. It did. Uh, with the, with three different versions of the film, yeah. and then uh, you know, which are all separate edits of the film, and then mm-hmm. you have. Uh, there's even a section that was included as an extra, which isn't in any of those films, uh, in the uh, uh, any any of those versions. So that uh, that Blu-ray, I don't even know if that Blu-ray of Web of the Spider is still in print, but it is well worth having. If there's ever a a, a, a release of Web of the Spider to best that one, yeah, of course I'd love to be a part of it. But at the same time. Uh, I don't know if that will happen or not because I don't know that Web of the Spider, as we were just talking about, is as well regarded. Sad to say. 
Mm-hmm. Who put that disc out, that Web of the Spider? I can't remember. Uh, it was a company that I think only had... That, I think that may have been the first release, and I don't know that they did a whole lot of them. Garage House, that's it. Yeah. That it? Yeah. Yeah, $78.99 new on Amazon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Damn, it's really? got to be out of print. Damn, I bought it when it, I bought it when it was still in print. I got it for like twenty bucks. Jeez. Yeah, well, it's like going back to Devil's Wedding Night. It's like I don't know if this just the code red's out of print, but I got it for ten bucks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it was not too long ago. You know, I found one and just grab. It's like, oh, I need this. I just grabbed it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I'm glad I did because it's it's it, this is a good disc. Well, the uh, <laughs> to round us back to the to the to this film. To the yep. Devil's Wedding Night, and to make sure that we're somewhere near the trick, I do love that while our uh, our good brother <laughs> Carl is wandering around the the castle at night, he does find uh, his brother, and the question then is, holy shit, is he dead? But he I fishes it fishes him out of this coffin and drags him uh, back back up to his room. Right. And this is the first time we play the old mirror trick. Mirror, yeah. Uh, so we so we have the uh, but we uh, knew and, and it's great. I love the way it's done because they uh, they it's all done in one shot where the uh, the two of them uh, the Carl helping friends down the hallway you know yep. carrying him with one arm over his shoulder and then uh, the camera uh, moves across the the hallway as they go by. We see hiding in an alcove there Rosalba Neri with a with a candle. That she's hiding behind her hand, which of course yep. also makes me think, well, she wasn't hiding the light behind that. Surely he would have spotted her. Anyway, nevertheless, forget that, forget that. And the camera continues to move, and we we see their reflection in the mirror at the end of the hall. And there's only the one brother supporting nothing. And it's right. like, ooh, mirror stuff, cool. Which it was that. so it was so important, but that's that because it, it it made the reveal all the that much better. But you know, it's funny because. In so many other places, in so many other movies, you see the reveal is usually the vampires are invisible and the mortals are not. And you'll see that in like Vault of Horror. You'll see that in Fearless Vampire Killers, stuff like that, right? But here they did the reverse where the mirror reveals the imposter, Mm -hmm. which I thought was great. (laughs) I was like, wow, okay. You know, that didn't register on me. uh, Maybe it did on previous viewings or it's just been too long, but I thought that was, that was, that was a nice moment. I really got a kick out of that because I thought, uh, because it's like, who, who, you know, they're fighting. It's like, who lived, who died. And it's like, what a great (laughs) surprise. Aha. (laughs) It's Carl. Well, let's take note of the fact that Carl for, for all his, uh, his bookish ways, uh, he handles the the big bald crypt monster pretty effectively with that big that big iron candle holder whacking him in the head a few times. Okay, and keeping yeah, him down. I'm glad you because I was going to get you to I was going to rewind us back to that moment because I wanted to talk about that because I'm going to go total monster kid on you guys because uh, you know you know how when you were kids and you talk to your fellow monster fans about you know you had your discussions on who would win in a fight between you know whatever you know Quasimodo and Phantom of the Opera or whatever you right, know whoever right, you, right. you know. Okay, so I'm going to ask a real monster kid kind of question here, but should you be able to knock a vampire out? <laughs> I mean, doesn't that? I would. I, I, I would don't think know. not. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems really strange to me. He's obviously he obviously hits the, you know, Mr. Unibrow here. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, knocks him, 
knocks him out. And I just really, you know, it's like bugged me more than it should bug a, a man in his 50s, you know. But I was just sitting there thinking, like, I just sitting there thinking, like, I was like, you shouldn't, I don't really, I don't, don't see, I don't know why you wouldn't be able to knock a vampire out, but it doesn't seem to me like you should be able to render a vampire or a werewolf or a monster. Like, you can kill them, subdue them, destroy them, but just like, I mean, I'm picturing somebody walking Trap behind them to get away from them. Yeah, yeah. I'm picturing somebody walking behind Dracula and like hitting him with a sap, you know, and I'll knock it. It did not make a lot of sense to, to see him to see him being the one. If anybody, what should have been plunging from a high window, it should have been Carl. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's 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 like, the thing. how did he uh, manage let's, that? Let's let's think yeah. about this. Zero or zero or I, th- I think I think zero is probably the zero pro- Pappas, this big bald Hulk mm. of a thing playing this monster. For, from seventy two to seventy four, he played three different creatures. He, he played Mosaic, the Frankenstein monster in Frankenstein eighty. Oh my God, I love that movie. And then he played the this vampire critter in Devil's Wedding Night. And then yep. the following year in 74, he's in Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks as Cregan. And so there's a part of me that wonders which one of these characters would have been able to be rendered unconscious by a giant iron candelabra. And it's like, huh. Well, Mosaic was pretty tough. As a matter of yeah. fact, I can't, there wasn't much. I mean, I think at one point he gets hit by a car and it doesn't really do much. I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, Mo- Mosaico was having a tough time because he had some testicular trauma going on there. So it's like, he, he probably, he, he was probably hobbling a bit. <laughs> Oh man. Okay, so we get to the point where uh Rosalba Neri is up on the uh castle walls, uh getting that whole Night of the Virgin Moon cranked into high gear. Yeah. Um this this is this is where things get uh, a little out of control. This is a great sequence. This to me is one of the it, it's it's not perfect, but it is so close to exactly what I love about these kind of supernatural gothic tales. It's a woman on uh, the the high wall of a castle at night nighttime with lightning flashing, doing magic black you know doing black magic shit to and draw virgins to her. It's like wardrobe, you know. I know oh, it's yeah. incredible. It's, well, and they made is, a point of showing there's somebody up there with a red light. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It, it's 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 really amazing. This is you know this is what I I pay to see these kind of movies for is just these kinds of of moments and the. Uh, so the 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 virgins are uh, you know kind of mesmerized and coming up toward the 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 Dracula castle. We got the big red glowing ring. Now, I have a the... question for you though. Let's sure. stop there for a second because here's a problem I have with this sequence. Okay, so if the villagers who are so afraid of the castle because they know that on I know, this particular I know what you're about night, to say. I know what you're about to say. Go ahead. On this per- right, yeah, I know you know what I'm going to say, Troy. It's just like yeah, on this particular <laughs> night, they know that they're going to lose five of their daughters, right? So why don't they literally, literally lock up their daughters? <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, I was I was thinking in terms of like you know why don't they just like you know hey you, sh- you know let them send them to a vacation in the Bahamas for a week or something you know, <laughs> you know, or, you know. If they, or if they know you know if they know that they're going to go traipsing off to the castle for whatever never to be seen again you'd figure why don't you get yourself a posse and follow them 
Yeah. Well, I mean, because but, they're all because, because they're all angry. chicken shits. But this let's is become the, angry villagers with pitchforks and torches. I guess that's too universal. I well, see, that's just it. I think I think you're missing the point of what of, of what they obviously think of this whole thing, which is this is the annual taxes paid to the landholder. Ah, good point. Right. It's like a because it is a ritual sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. And this whether is, the villagers this is just what they, know this is what they have to put up with. Right. And whether the villagers know know it or not what's actually going on in there which is some pretty kinky stuff yeah and also where did those five guys in the hoods come from (laughs) now see now you've hit upon you've now you've hit upon to what i think is the obvious question are these guys do do these same guys show up every year (laughs) (laughs) right well wouldn't you well, of course yeah. I would. Yes, yes, I mean, indeed. Because it's like, all right, so Esmeralda borrows, you're standing behind a girl, a, you know, a young nubile, and Esmeralda borrows is going to walk up, strip off her nighty, grope her, and then I noticed the one guy copped the feel. He's running his hands down. And I saw that down, too. You know? He's got like just. And, and a very nice bottom it was too, but it's yeah. still, it's like, Hmm. Well, you know, there are some, there are some side benefits and perks to this hooded <laughs> henchman job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this whole ritual sequence is another example of so much parts of it are, you know, so much of it is, is so effective and, and obviously visually pleasing and all that. And then, but at the same time, it's another one where, okay, like, so like you said, with each girl, they go through this, you know, where they strip them and then they throw them on the table. And then the five, the, the five guys, and every time I say that, I'm thinking of like the hamburger franchise or something, or the five, you know. <laughs> You know the five. You know, but the, the, five, but the, the five. You know the five meat, meat, meat bound, muscle bound guys. You know whatever. You know they like. You know they sort of drape themselves over the girl and she screams. You know, and they and they yeah. go through this. But and I'm saying the thing. Okay, did we have to do this with all five of the girls? I mean, do we have to show it? You know, and it's they just, did. It's in that point yes. where it's yes, Troy, story. or the film is going to be too short. Yes, I know. Yes, it's, it's it's you know it's like it's not that I mind seeing the girls you know and and, and seeing them into the whole ritual sacrifice fun didn't thing. You think, you know? Didn't you think that was kind of very blind dead Templar like? Oh yeah, very much so. That, yeah. When they kind of <laughs> leaned in, it's like here we go again, boys. Let's go. Yeah. One, two, three. Lean, lean in, lean in, and yeah. <laughs> well, I would just like to point out that the, during this segment, during this whole ritual segment, uh, we got one of my favorite things that they barely pay attention to, uh, just long enough to let to, to kind of like nod toward it. But we get the the standard black mass mm-hmm. slash satanic ritual with the, the the chicken blood. We get the dead chicken, oh, we yeah, chop its yeah. head off. Yeah. We don't see the head come off, but we certainly see the the chicken corpse, mm-hmm. you know, leaking blood all over everything inside. Yeah. And, it's, and I'm just going, yeah. I mean, I guess we've got to do this too. I'm not, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. There's. It's just. Is this just more blood for the film? Well, there should have been a mess. I mean, there was blood all over the place, and then there like, should have been blood and, all. And over then the I'm place. looking at that perfectly lit tile, and it's like nothing. <laughs> well, there, there are there are options here. Not and not all of them have to uh, to uh, go straight into the supernatural category. Uh, one of them could be that uh, these uh, these uh, vampires are lapping up every drop, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting down there yeah. into the crevices between the stones, getting it all, man. Because got to have got to have the blood. Yep. Or we're just not seeing the incredibly quick. 
pit crew of cleaners that come in in between <laughs> each sacrifice. That's why I was saying, what are these guys, cleaners? I mean, it seemed like it was just, it could have been just sloppy work because if it had been Nashy, they would have had a golden goblet like pushed yeah. right up. Oh, to yeah, the collecting thing. the blood, yeah. Right. And, you know, and then you have some, you know, somebody like uh, Myrta Miller, you know, holding the mm. goblet out to, to the devil. You know, there you go. <laughs> it's like, here, everybody have a drink. But it's like, uh, you know, here it's like, nah, it's like they're hitting. She's she's hitting those jugulars. Yeah. <laughs> and that, OK. Uh, that blood some, was going. Something else I've got to uh, I've got to bring up here. And it's something that uh, since I, I rewatched it last night, uh, just to prep myself, just to have a quick, you know, another viewing in my, under my belt for when we talk about this film. But I have to say that the the chanting during the uh, this uh, this ritual, yeah. um, there came a point when I swear it sounded like Papa Mau Mau. And, and I, it got stuck. It got stuck in my head, oh, and so no. I got, So I'm, I'm hearing. I'm hearing "bird is the word" all of a sudden in my brain, and I'm having to like whack, whack my head with a pillow to make that stop. You know, it's funny you say that because it's like I'm sure you guys have watched the. the here, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but I have a reason because just what you're talking about. Kolchak the Night Stalker, the TV series with David yeah. McGowan, oh, yeah. right? Okay, there was yeah. an episode where you had this Indian shaman yeah. who was living at the top of a skyscraper, and, and yes. Carl has to like walk like 83 flights up. And I swear to God, the guy was doing a chant. Yeah, yeah. And, and I yeah. swear he was saying E I E I O. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> wait, and I could, I and now whenever I watch it, I can't get it out of my head. It's like, oh, it's like no. I'm hitting myself with a pillow. And it's like, I swear it sounds like he's seeing E-I-E-I-O. And it's like, that's all I get out of it. No, oh, man, I know exactly the episode you're talking about. And I've never, uh, now next time I see it, I know I'll, 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 I'll be, thanks, thanks, Bob. I'm going to be that, hearing that. that I, I know it's going to be my fault. You're going to be, that, you're going to be thinking <laughs> this is all your fault, Bob. <laughs> it, I think that pretty much every other day, really. So you know, <laughs> I'll just add this to the list. I know, I know. I, I get that a lot. I get that at work. I get that at home. But it's like you know, that's just my that's just my cross to bear. Well, the film starts to wrap itself up by bringing us to the point where uh, Carl is not aware that Franz is uh, is been, has been vampirized, although yep. we are, and. Yep. Uh, we have uh, the, the the breakdown here near in the final third, uh, with the, the the virgins having been sacrificed. Yep. And uh, it's brother versus brother in yep. a vampire duel to the death. Which, by the way, let's be clear: brother versus brother in a vampire duel to the death should have been how this movie was advertised back in '73 and '74. Yeah, that's a great tagline. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, we get to see the cool ass sequence where uh, there's this one little scene, and they don't draw en- enough attention to it, but it's a cool little thing where uh, Rosalba Neri gets up from her throne oh, and yeah. glides across the floor. I know that's so that's uh, so fucking cool. Uh-huh. I mean, it's pretty yeah, so cool. You, you can throw those kind of things out there, and it totally make up. You could have five like really just badly done clunker you know, moments things before. Yeah. And then you throw something like that at me, and I'm totally hooked again. I'll be just like, you know, that is just, I love that moment. Yep. That's just great. I love those little moments of invention like that. Yep. So we get, uh, so she's been waiting for uh, 
for her beloved to uh, enter the room. And of course, one of the brothers enters. But at this point, we're not sure which one of the brothers uh, came out on top in the vampire duel. And so uh, he comes in, and it's not until we get, uh, a, a, well, uh, our dear Countess sees his reflection in the mirror, as we've already talked about, and realizes he's an imposter. Right, he's not my vampire so, king. She was so sure it was him because she said, here, here's girl number six, the, the Vestal Sacrifice. You do the honors. And she hands him the blade. Yep. Right. And then, and then of course, the mirror reveals he's an imposter. <laughs> that's when he stabs the knife into uh, Lara the zombie. Yes, that that's right, because he had it. That's right. That's when it happens. Which then, also did you notice? The henchmen must also be zombies. Must have also been zombies because a couple of them took uh, arrow. What was it? Crossbow bolts. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah. He's zunking these these bolts into them, and it's like, uh, okay, I guess they're zombies too. Yeah. So I guess zombies can have sex. Wait a minute, I'm trying to <laughs> dope all this out. Or, or they can, or zombies like to feel up nude girls. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> These but, guys sure did. But once again, proving that Carl is a hell of a badass here, he grabs an axe and just goes to town. Yep. Uh, and you see all five heads come off. I, I was counting. I think. I think they. I think like with the virgins. I think they had to show every one of them to pass yeah. running time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, at this point, uh, we have the uh, the bald crypt monster return. He's he's finally found his way to the action here. Thank God, showed up a little late there, buddy, but yeah. just in t- just in time to to get your ass kicked by Carl again. This is where he manages to shove the uh, the crypt monster out the window. So we get the floppy legs out the window, is how I described it, because yeah, it's it was, an obvious dummy like death. End. It was like at the end of Diamonds Are Forever, the guy has to show up, you know, the, yeah. the, the two villains show up at the end and one of them gets the bomb hooked to his, his tails on his, on his tuxedo and, and he flips them over. It's like there's always like, you know, that somebody's got some, one of the bad guys, one of the minor bad guys has got to show up again at the end. True. Well, but I wouldn't call this this bald bastard. I think Ciro is a bit more of a of a of a. He's supposed to be more of a threat than he is. But considering that Carl whacks his ass a couple of times, it's and then he's somehow killed by being tossed out a window. It's like sad, sad. More more, more bark than bite here, dude. I'm sorry. Well, sad <clears throat> commentary on the state of monsters in 1973. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to point out, too, that, you know, talking about Carl being a badass. Now, obviously, he's subdued his vampire brother, too, somehow. We never see how. Yeah, how did he do that? Well, uh, here's my question, because that is another one of those just like what the fuck moments is the the, because while they're fighting our mystery man who we, you know, our smirker, you know, he comes out. (laughs) He's there in the room with him, right? He comes out there. Oh, no, he's watching. He's watching this. He's there just enjoying the action, you know, and then like. The scene ends, we hear somebody scream, which obviously, you know, which brother it was Franz, okay? So then I'm I'm wondering, was were we supposed to think that that the mystery man helped Carl because he wanted to cause the mystery man ultimately had his sights set on the ring and so he helped mm-hmm. Carl subdue France Franz so that Carl so that Carl could help, you know, overthrow the countess and he could get you the know, ring. I that never I never thought down that pathway, but now that you've brought it up that's I mean, sheer you, genius, sir. Yes. I agree. It, I, that is genius because he had to get both brothers out of the way to obtain the ring. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and he, used, the, and he used the brothers to get rid of the countess. So this is a win-win. He's he's playing three-dimensional billiards here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which of <laughs> course right. you because of course you knew when the amulet is delivered back to the castle. I I, I knew it's like the amulet's going to be here undoing. You, you just knew it. You yeah. Knew it. Yeah. Well, you thought. Yeah. Well, and of course it is because it's like then it's like well, you get the giant vampire bat. At the exactly. End. Giant. And, 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 by, and by the way, let's let's once again stress, giant vampire bat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and it really was giant, you know. And of course, the the amulet gives Carl the time to gorily lop off the Contessa's hand with yep. the ring on it, which th- then just causes her to just vanish in the lightning storm. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. what happened? I, I mean, yeah. I guess. I guess that, that's just, you know, that's just what happens if you if your hand gets lopped off and it's like she didn't have the ring anymore. Maybe that was the continuance of her life force or something. I don't know. And the hand doesn't disappear. And so I guess the fact that the ring was still attached to the hand, it's still preserving the hand and just not the rest of her body, I suppose. is what True. We're, is True. The and, then, and then, of course, we know what happens later because then, you know, Carl leaves it on the grave after when he well, he stakes his brother. Well, he, 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 well, he leaves the, uh, the amulet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Right. That's right. I'm confused. Well, okay. I, I got a got a got a got a thing here. It's where it's where we. Don't get me wrong. I really do love this film. I do. I enjoy the shit out of it. But coupled in in the same sequence where we have the the giant bat, which I think is so over the top and brilliant, and I love it. We also then have Carl go through this thing where he's going he's doing fake slow motion away from her i <laughs> know that yeah and yeah, i don't yeah. under, i don't understand it i don't I know think. if there's some, if this is some kind of technical flub in the movie where they had Martin damon do it this way and then they were going to do something with the 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 camera speed to, uh, when they were processing it and putting it in the film so that it would look weird or strange or odd instead of like what it is, which is an actor faking doing something <laughs> in slow motion. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's really, really strange. But it, it's, it's, one, it's one of those, if I want the giant vampire bat, and I do, I have to take the weird-ass slow motion thing. So, yeah. okay. So he did. He did what he had to do. Yeah, yeah, and, and so it makes me wonder if, and this is just me throwing this out as a possibility. I'm not sure if this is even likely, but there is no slow motion in the film. Not even in those sequences that we would be so used to seeing them in, in like foggy nighttime sequences when the, monsters the five are stalking, walking through the mist, right? Right, right. Which is when you start you, you start to think, wow, okay, there isn't any slow motion in this film. So was it something they were not technically capable of doing for some reason? Was there something hampering them technically? And so this sequence where he fakes this to look like it's in slow motion. Was this their workaround? Is this what they did? I'm, I'd really love to know this. I don't know. You, you think about conscious thought when you're writing a script. You know, I, I, it, now you're getting me thinking about all kinds of things. Like you have two shock endings. Is there any significance to the fact that Carl is the only character in the film who has, at some point, he has both artifacts? Oh. He has the amulet and mm-hmm. the ring. And both of those figure into the shock endings. The ring figures into shock ending number one, where the innkeeper's daughter kills Carl. And yeah. then it figures into number two, which Carl left the the amulet. I got to choose my words carefully because it gets confusing. On yeah. the grave. 
of which, Franz. For Franz, for him to reach out of his grave, he's supposed to be a dead, you know, a, a destroyed vampire, to grasp the amulet and it ends the film. Yeah. So, but it's like, I guess maybe if you had a moral, it's like, be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not looking for no damn moral here. Come on. <laughs> no, no, in a film like this, oh, hell no. <laughs> well, what I would like to, you know, I was, again, you know, looking at the hand of, you know, Franz's hand grasping the amulet the last that, you know, we talked about uh, Mark Damon just looking great as a vampire. And again, you know, the film basically would, you could make a sequel based on that last freeze frame there. You, yep. could, you know, tell, well, it's too bad that they didn't, didn't continue Franz the vampire in the next, you know, next uh, in the sequel there. Or you, well, or you could have brought both of them back. You, exactly. You yeah, of you course, too, they'll both be vampires now. You yeah. could have, you could have done a Captain Kronos kind of thing where you go, yeah. well, the, the vampire bite didn't kill Carl. Yeah. Right. So right. it's like so. So then it's like you could have you. You really could do the kind of thing the 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 the, the mortal brother versus the vampire brother into a sequel like that where they're chasing each other. You know, uh, across a you know, uh, uh, you know, an eighteen hundreds countryside. You know. <laughs> Man, that would be fun. Movie. I mean, that, that 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 to me would be well. If we'd ever gotten a sequel of of any of these things that didn't turn out to to generate sequels in the early seventies, my vote would always have gone to Captain Kronos. But yeah. a crossover would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. Is Mark Damon still with us, or is he gone? Oh, that's oh, that is a fantastic question. Because I'm wondering, it would be it would be interesting to talk to. He is still with us. Oh my lord, that man is still alive. Because it would be really interesting to ask. Had you, you know, it's like we we really enjoyed Devil's Wedding Night. It's like, did you ever, you know, we know you shopped the script around for a while. Did you ever consider a sequel? Yeah. Wow. You would think he would if he had shopped it around that long. He probably would remember it very well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even even at his at his age, what he's got to be in his eighties, ninety, ninety. He's about ninety. He was born in nineteen thirty-three. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, here's well. This well, would be the question. I mean, this, the that same year he was in uh, *Crypt of the Living Dead* uh -huh. the, uh, uh, with uh, Andrew Prine and yep. Patty Shepard. Yep. And um, so and I, Teresa Himbera. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a part of me that. Well, first of all, I don't know that anybody's. Surely somebody has, because I mean, if he's still kicking now, surely somebody has interviewed him and asked him all these questions that are going through my mind about uh, not just Devil's Wedding Night, but you know, Crypt of the Living Dead as well. There's just a there's just a ton of things to ask. I'm sure somebody. I would hope so. I mean, of, I would fear like most of them would just want to concentrate on his his Poe film with Price. You know, would want to concentrate. Yeah, maybe. On that. Or, or maybe only the only the three of us, these the three obsessed <laughs> film fans, would think of this kind of stuff. You know, and he'd be like, "Hmm, a sequel." Nobody ever asked me that. <laughs> well, he, he might he might give us that look that says, "Wow, you people are crazy." Okay. Yeah, <laughs> or or he think we're nuts. But... It's like you know, it's like, "Oh, please, Mr. Damon, sign sign my press book for Devil's Wedding Night." He'd be like, mm -hmm. "Get away from me." <laughs> <laughs> and leave and, and and that's my sharpie <laughs> i would yeah. just i would just ask him mr damon how did you remember your lines when you're standing right across from Rosalba neary oh yeah that would be a good one i'll, I'll well, bet he would have some recollections of her that's for yeah, sure yeah but he would too well i mean there's you know think think about think about the films he was in i mean he was in black sabbath okay yeah. so he was he was in uh whipping the body yeah, right. yeah. whip yeah. uh Ringo no, wait, no, that, no wait that wasn't him was no that it? wasn't him 
I'm thinking of Tony Kendall. Oh, 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 God. So there's Johnny Yuma and Ringo and his Golden Pistol. Surely somebody has talked to this guy about his career at some point. There has to be. I've I've just, I've got to, I've got to look up interviews for the interviews with him because there's just so much that he was involved in. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, even there wasn't there, there was a Euro spy or two that he did. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, I know I've seen like uh, Agent 777. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he acquits himself pretty well in just about anything he does. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, certainly. When, When you start getting into, uh, well, he was he, he worked with Bava again on uh, the Young, the Evil, and the Savage, or uh, the it's better known under it's the 1968 film, uh, you know, Naked You Die. Mm-hmm. The, oh the, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the one that started out as a that was going to be made by Bava, but ended up being directed by Antonio Margariti. The Margariti thing, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, good lord, I mean, he was uh, he was one of the one of the actors in Anzio. He made uh, he played Alan Adale in uh, a Robin Hood film in 1971. He played Ivanhoe in an Ivanhoe film in 71. Oh my God, hell of a filmography! I know, Man. I know. You start looking at his career and you're just like, holy crap! There, I mean, I, w- what we need is like a two hour interview with the guy, no you know. And I'm sure it's already been done. Well, he does have an autobiography. I haven't read it yet, but it's in oh, print okay. and you can get it. Okay. Oh, well, there is something to track yeah. down. Yeah, I was also really impressed with him. I just it was this past summer, I think, or maybe the summer before, I finally saw the Young Racers, uh, the uh, the Roger oh, the Corman, Corman thing. Yeah, the, it's, yeah. It's you Martin. know what? That's that's fun. Is that the one with uh, I think is William Campbell in that one? Ex- yeah, and Luan yes. and Luana Anders. Yes, exactly. And is yeah. that the one where he's dubbed and it's William Shatner dubbing him? <laughs> Oh, now I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the one because I was watching that and my wife's like, why are you looking so weird at this movie? And I was like, I know that voice. I know that voice. It's like, oh, my God, I got it. It's William Shatner. Holy crap. Why? Why is Shatner dubbing? I I swear he was. I'm pretty sure it was William Campbell. He was dubbing in a Roger Corman movie. And it's like, why is he doing? No, no. Oh, I just found it. Yeah. Apparently, that's one of the weird trivia pieces about. The Young Racers is that Mark Damon's dialogue was looped by an uncredited William Shatner. Oh, it was Damon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not William Campbell. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. I wonder why. Hmm. I, the only yeah. the only way that could have happened is if for some reason uh, Mark Damon wasn't available to do the looping for you know some stuff where they some sequences where they needed uh, to do looping over all enti- entire sequences and they just had him do the entire performance. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense. As I recall, that movie was actually pretty entertaining too. It's pretty. It's a pretty good little movie. It's 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 a it's really just a drama, but it's a well done one. Yeah, black and white too. I think wasn't it? I just remember thinking that um, Luana Anders was really good in it. I always thought she was. I always thought she was so good. I really. Yeah. Really yeah. enjoy her. Yeah. Well, um, shall we shall we wrap up our thoughts about the Devil's Wedding Night, fellas? Or, uh, this we we've certainly been talking for long enough about this film. I think. Uh, what we'll, we'll go around the ring, uh, Bob. Yeah. Uh, final, final thought. Final thoughts. On final the thoughts and takeaways. Night. All right. Yeah. So reasons to watch this. All right. So I, I know I started with why did I pick it, Rosalbaneri, but now that we've discussed it like this, I would think watch Mark Damon. Mm-hmm. You know, he playing he's a real. dual role because he's great in this. I, that's really that's my is, takeaway yeah. from this. Like, I really enjoyed not only. Did I enjoy her performance? But I, I really enjoyed what he did in this movie. 
I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you 100. percent Troy, that's, that's uh, what I'll leave it. Troy, uh, what are your uh, your capping thoughts on this one? Well, here's what, <clears throat> I'm gonna see what you guys think of this. I I came away thinking that this film would be a great film to introduce someone to Euro horror. And I'll tell you my reasoning on that is because it's not a perfect film because it's not a great film. It's a fun film. But the problem is if you're trying to turn someone, you know, onto Euro horror, a lot of times you're tempted to show them, you know, something like horror rises from the tomb or tombs of the blind dead or corruption of Chris Miller or, you know, a bell from hell. You know, I'm talking about like the really the standout films, you know, the top film. The problem with that though, is if you show them one of the really greats, you know, and that just blows them away. Does that raise their expectation then? Right. Or, on the other hand, if you show them a film like this, it's as I said earlier, this film contains just about every, an example of just about everything you could point to as being indicative of a Euro horror film, yeah. the good and the bad, you yeah. know? And yeah, okay. it's, full of, it's full of all the, full of all the things that, you know, the really impressive visuals and, and really creative ideas it's also full of a lot of things that people who are more used to kind of standard, you know, what we think of as, as conventional films, standard films are, you know, that uh, uh, can find kind of off-putting. So I, I came away thinking like this might be the perfect film to to really kind of test the waters with someone. And if they if they dig it, then you feel like, OK, you know, this person may be ready to have a, their mind blown and have their new world, a whole new world opened up for them, you know. So what do you think? Yeah. I, I I agree. I would agree. I actually make a really good point because yeah, if you set the bar too high by showing them one of the standouts, then everything else could be a letdown. Mm-hmm. True. Very true. It, 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 I've always felt that if you're introducing people, you might you, you want to give them an unassailable classic, followed by something that is obviously a lesser work, and kind of seesaw things back and forth a little bit if you can to kind mm-hmm. of give them to kind of to kind of calibrate their thoughts on the genre or what they're watching in the first place to kind of give them something that is really hard to critique and then something that's really easy to critique, but that still falls on the plus side, you know? Yeah. 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 I see, yeah. I can see. I agree with that. So you're saying like you might, yeah, if you first showed them like, you know, something like, you know, a bell from hell or something or horror rises from the tomb, you know, and, and but then you could follow it up with this one maybe and say like, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. Because here's the thing: you're, you're never you're never going to be sure of what somebody's reaction to even one of one of the films. You're never even sure what they're going to think of a classic, something that you think yeah. of as just absolutely brilliant. So yeah. vary it back and forth between mm-hmm. using your own tastes as a guide, and mm-hmm. uh, that way mm-hmm. you get an idea of where they're going to fall. And if they don't enjoy either of them, well, you know you've kind of you know struck a dry well. No problem, move on. But mm-hmm. the uh, giving them an, uh, you're right. I mean, the, the the tendency would be to, well, for instance, back in November, I worked my way through uh, 23 film noirs that I had never seen before. That was the whole wow. point. I was wow. going. I wanted to. I I've got. Uh, I've watched a lot of the the unassailable classics of film noir. You know, yeah. out of the out of the past. You know, the big ones, yeah. man, the right. ones that everybody knows. But I have all of these others that I've never watched and so i just took it as a project noir november right and what i found is that i i really enjoyed pretty much all of them but there was so much variety not just in subject matter as i went through the ones that i watched but there were what i considered to be highs and lows there would be something that i would think was kind of uh kind of a mess that one that didn't work as well as it really probably should have something mm-hmm. which would be something like Tokyo Joe right 
mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is an interesting film and kind of enjoyable, but it's a mishmash. It, I know it, that it, one. It, yeah. it, it, it doesn't really work the way that you can see that they were hoping it was going to work. But then at the same time, I finally got around to Mildred Pierce, which punched me right in my face. Uh-huh. And so there's all this variety. So uh, the idea of moving back and forth within the genre between things that I knew Mildred Pierce was considered a classic. I just never gotten to it. And then when I see it, Oh yeah, shit. I get it. <laughs> this, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a lot of melodrama. It's mostly family, you know, the family dynamics over the course of a, uh, over the course of several years, but mm-hmm. it is so well done. And there's so many dark crime, like mm-hmm. twists and turns. It's really, really dark and really, really interesting. And so, fluctuating between the things that, like I say, fall on the good side still, like a Tokyo Joe, and then things that are just brilliant, that you know, you'd have yeah. to really not be much of a film fan at all to not enjoy. Yep. That, 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 I, that I think is a good way to kind of introduce someone to a, a, a new genre. Yeah, and and Rod, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, how did you build this list? Were these were these on box sets, or did you? I mean, as far as deciding yeah. what to watch, I mean, how did you? Uh, oh well, I had stockpiled a couple of the uh, uh, the indicator box sets. That British company that had been putting out box sets of. Um, uh, film noirs uh, from Muth Universal and Columbia. I was never able to have all the have the money to buy all of them, which I wanted. I wanted all of them, but I was only able to buy a few of them. Mm-hmm. But so I used those as my starting point. But then also I had uh, other. I had some. Um, I had uh, like an uh, uh, like a DVD uh, that I'd bought secondhand of where the uh, a, f- a film called the, the the was it the Streets Have No Name. Where, where the streets have no aim or something like that. I can't remember the full title. I'd have to look it back up. And then I also found a number of really interesting ones just sitting on YouTube to watch for free. So oh, cool. I, yeah, so I was just working my way through. I was just you know going through these box sets, finding stuff on YouTube, going through the 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 stacks of DVDs, and going okay, okay, I've put this off. I can finally watch this one, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it, it was it was a lot of fun. But once again, That's it's cool. it's 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 something that I can see. It's gonna it, it, it was hard to shake off because I now I just I kind of want to keep going through that genre because I was really enjoying it. Yeah. Sounds like you got a really good introduction to it. I applaud you for watching those and watching so many of them. Because, you know, as film fans, it's like we have our niche niches that we like, but you, you can't you can't see everything. Oh, no, I know. no, no you, you can. And watching <laughs> and watching watching um this one tonight, the Devil's Wedding Night was again, you know, it's just uh, again, I'd never seen it before. And, and it's just great to see something you enjoy so much and just, you know, always leaves me with the feeling of, man, what, what else out there have I yet to discover? I mean, you're right. No, and I'll never discover them all, but just the excitement of knowing like, man, there are still as many years as I've been watching this stuff. There's still all these gems out there that I, you know, what am I going to come across next? You know, that, uh, you know, I can't name the film, but Rod and I did a audio commentary for a film uh, a while back that hasn't been released yet. And it was one that I'd never seen before. Uh, that uh, again came away with that just feeling of man, just you know, this was so much fun. How much of this stuff is still out there, you know, that I haven't seen? So. Yeah. Well, and you will make those discoveries too, and that's yeah. part of the fun. Is yeah, you know, the first when it's the first time, 
You know, yeah. and that's why I I have no problem with saying you know I've never made the time to watch this if it's something I haven't seen. You know, and then it's fun for fans of that film to say, oh, you need to watch this yeah. because yeah. Yeah. you know, and and you and their enthusiasm drives you on. You know, it's like yeah. okay, yeah. And I was like, you convinced me. I need to you know, and I need to watch this. You know, and it makes them feel good, and I get something out of it because it's like, all right, now I'm going to make the time to watch this. Yeah, yeah. So and honestly, that's that, uh, yeah, it is, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing these podcasts because the whole idea is to try to introduce people who might not have even heard of some of these crazy ass films like this one to it, and hopefully get them to uh, to check it out and find something new that they add to their uh, their not just a list of films that they've uh, now seen, but films that they may end up putting on their favorite list. You know, their yeah. list of wow, you know, out of the gothics. The color ones. This one I really enjoyed the shit out of. You know. Yep. Well, guys, once again, I want to thank uh, I want to thank Bob for coming and joining us. Uh, we uh, we always have a good time talking with you. I don't know. Uh, every time I think, man, do I really want to put up with Bob again? And then you know, we start talking. <laughs> we start yeah. talking, and my and my concerns drop away, and I realize, oh, okay, no, he's actually a pretty good guy. My memories <laughs> my memories have been fooling me. He's he's okay. He's so, all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, most yeah. of my family probably say, ah, he's all right. He won't fall into the figgy pudding around the holiday season, so it's okay. It's okay. Well, yeah. well, he only did it that one time, but nobody noticed anyway, so it's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, and, so, and also, Troy, thank you for uh, indulging us. I honestly did not know that you had never seen this before. That's great mm-hmm. to know. Okay. I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Thanks for picking this one, Bob. It was a lot of fun. Really Good. Um, well, I'm, I am, I'm gratified that you enjoyed it. But you guys are great. I always have a good time with you guys. Let's do it again sometime. We will. We will. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely.